What's up, what's up, what's up? We're back for another episode of the Arguing Brothers Podcast. And this episode is a special episode. We was able to partner with the Hoodie Season and support their Volume 7 party out in the middle of Southeast D.C. It was a great time, a great opportunity to meet and talk and and bridge bridges with other people. And then we also have the opportunity to have a sit-down with four special guests uh, of business leaders, entrepreneurs, and just people that's doing great things in the city and going and through the community of D.C., Maryland, Virginia. So we get an opportunity to please listen to this episode. Um, and if you ever need to reach out to us or even to, or to those people that we interview because they just they have so much great things to talk about, different things that they're doing. So take a listen. Awesome session. We love that we enjoyed it. Take care. All right, all right, we, we are recording right now. This is how we get this down. This is the Argent Brothers Podcast. We're just checking in. We're live um, at the hoodie season. Uh, uh, I won't say fairgrounds, but we're at the hoodie season um, this year, 2023. Uh, you can hear in the background. We got kids in the background playing. We got people. We got my boy trying to pour him a cup. We got so much going on and so much activity down here. Um in the course, of, like I say, even though I say we're live, you know, this is a recording. Um, and we are here to interview some of the uh, prominent sponsors and guests that are people who are part of this uh, beautiful uh, situation here. So our first guest for today, we got Miss Summer Davis for Coalition Properties Group. Hello, hello. Hey. Yes, I'm here. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. How you doing? Thank you. I'm great. I'm blessed. No complaints. Happy to be here. I'm good. Let's give her a round of applause. That's what we got to do. All right, so Ms. Davis, uh, let's jump into it. You just told me just a minute ago, very interesting, that you used to be a former athlete yes. at, at Howard University. I was. All right, let's jump into it. Let's talk yes. about it. so um, that's what brought me to D.C. I went to Howard. I was a student athlete. I was on the swim team. Oh, I wow. got recruited as a Division One swimmer, mm-hmm. full year, four years, swam, scholarship. How was that experience? I mean, D1. It was hard. Swimming is like one of the hardest sports. It is hard. Who did you compete against? Our conference. So, like, we would swim against American University, Gallaudet. We swam against North Carolina A&T. When I first started, um, we swam against FAMU, Georgetown, George Mason, um, GW, local. We did travel. Atlanta, mm-hmm. even in Memphis, we have conferences in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, okay. I mean, it was collegiate. Wow. It, uh, the conference changed since it was there, yeah. but I'm like NCAA athlete, I want to say. Like, yeah. yeah. It was real. Okay. It was full fledged, like, two a days. So it seemed like you had a great experience in college being a, uh, being a uh, D1 athlete. I mean, I would say I swam. To get a scholarship to Howard, I would, I, I didn't like, I didn't have the best okay. relationship with swimming. Like, I have oh, wow. a better mindset about it now, but I swam for so long. I swam uh. since I was like me, so that's like five, six years old, you know, for like 20 years, you know? Okay. A long time. Um, I was a lifeguard, I gave lessons, like, very full, much, fully, like, immersed in like the swimming culture, so. It brought me to D.C. It brought me to Howard. Like, that's the greatest, you know, thing that came out of swimming and all my hard work 
and talent, you know, brought me through. Now, where originally are you from? I'm from Philly. Philly, Philly, oh, Philly representing. Now it all makes sense yeah, now. Yeah. North Philly, South Philly, what we yeah, representing? Southwest. Southwest, Southwest Philly, Philly, okay. Yeah, okay. that's where my family's from. I'm from the uh, suburbs of Philadelphia, I will say. I'm, okay. a, I'm a suburbs girl, Sheltonham. Um, my family's from Uptown and Southwest. Yeah. What's that mall, King of Pressure? King of Pressure, Biggest mall on, one of the biggest mall on the East Coast. Right. Yeah. Early by like two days, like by two days, three days, they go through the whole mall. Right, right. Yeah, I heard uh, how was uh, swim team is doing well right now. Yeah, the men's actually won the conference last year. Um, the coach was a former Howard swimmer. Okay. And so he's turned the program around beautifully. Yeah. You know, I always try to support and go to the meets. Yeah, that's good. Um, but they're they're better and better every year. So it's beautiful to win. They're actually the last black um, HBCU swim team. Like yeah, I said, when I many. first started, it was FAM, it was A&T. Uh, maybe I'm missing one other, but now it's just, it's just us. So, Rizzy from Philly. First of all, there's only one person that is a typical grad out here, and that'd be me. Uh-huh. Oh, you gonna, oh. gonna rep right now? Nah, yo, man. Yeah. <laughs> now he want, now now he want to rep Philly. Philly. Like, yo, like, yeah, I, I will, will say that. Philly. I will Come say on. that. Okay. All right, I, we do have a connection there. But all right. So, you went from Howard, and then, you, and then now you're in the real estate. How did you get to that point? What was the progression? Um, so I graduated, I was actually a bio major, like really, I went to Howard, I got a scholarship, right, um, and a lot of, like a lot of young people, you you figure it out as you continue to grow and have experiences, right, so my path was, um, bio, you know, I did did struggle, I graduated, but it wasn't my passion, I'm like, you gotta really be in it if I want to be like a dentist, Mm -hmm. which is like, First, you know, first round of like trying things, right? So, decided I did not want to go to dental school. I got into luxury retail. Um, I always had uh, something, you know, that I was gravitated towards um, real estate. So, I got my license while I was working. I worked at Celine. Um, you know, surpass sales goals. I'm, I'm in the sales. I'm meeting people. I'm talking to people. Uh, being from D.C., it's just you see your your place in the world, I would say. And, like, you know, what effect you have on it. Like, right. my my check is nowhere near uh, somebody's check, check out, right? These bags are starting at 3000 Like, Thanks. so I'm like, how can I change my position in this world? Uh, got my license and just went, you know, 100% full-time. I'm at Keller Williams Capital Properties. Um, met some of my managing partners early on. This is 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, different market, you know, different time. But I'm so grateful how things aligned for me. Um, like I said, I met some of my managing partners early on before we started Coalition Properties. Coalition Properties started in 2019. So I had two years experience as a solo agent first, like trying everything, doing everything, working with buyers, sellers, running all over the place. Um, my managing partners started Coalition Properties in 2019, like I mentioned. And when they started, it was right before the pandemic that I joined. And so, like I said, things aligned perfectly because when things were shut down, like what didn't stop was real estate. Real estate yeah, is an essential business. You know, we were still working, but we weren't in the in the office. So it was different shift in business. Everything went virtual, but we're still working, right? Yeah, I had some of my biggest selling years during COVID, right? Right when I joined my team, right when rates took a dive, the economy shifted. So um, that's really when things took off. And now 2023, 
I'm still in the business, still thriving. Um, each year we help over 300 families into homes, a lot of them being first-time home buyers. Oh, that's amazing. That's our specialty. Um, we do over $300 million in sales volume um, per year. I'm extremely proud of our growth. I mean, each year we're bigger and better um, events-based, education-based group so a lot of what we do is to educate people to make best decisions for themselves right we want to be the bridge to all things real estate lifestyle and wealth building so it might not mean now but we are your resource to black real estate there's no other team doing the volume that we're doing helping the amount of people at the level that we are in terms of educating them whether you already own you're investing you're renting you're buying uh, we are the resource to, to, to all things you would need to kind of help change your trajectory, right? Um, real estate is one of the um, greatest areas in which you can build wealth and become, you know, change your, change your dynamic. So uh, financial literacy is a huge part where we're providing the information to help people take that first step. We have repeat clients that are coming back for the second and third, which is the goal, right? Like we really, our goal is to really build a community of people that are going to come back to us and help us build and grow the community of black homeowners. Um, You know, make sure that we eventually have power through ownership, right? We have a lot more control in our communities when we own our homes. We're making the decisions behind you know where we live who can who you know there's a housing shortage right yeah it is um we can help you provide housing for (laughs) you know we can't make excuses like oh you know prices this and that if you're not invested in your community right right, then you know you just gotta eventually you gotta live somewhere right you might as well be able to leverage the opportunity um of where you live and to be able to pull equity into you know building so okay look at us the whole so i want to ask since we're still on that like you said it's a shortage of houses i was just watching mm-hmm. the news i know a couple of friends that are looking for houses now mm-hmm. interest rate is up yep less houses right is it still a great time to buy a house it's a great time if you can afford to buy right right um Rates should not be the only decision maker behind your 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 decision to purchase because there's so many things that go behind that need to be aligned. Yeah. Right. So it's a great time um, if you have planted roots wherever you are. Right. The DMV, let's say DC. You're here. You're going to be here for a certain number of years. Uh, you decided this is where you want to build. Right. Uh, you have stable income. You have uh, healthy savings, um, and you understand that when you are renting, you, it's 100% interest, yeah. right? You're unable to refinance to a lower rate. You're not being able to build equity and pull from you making payments each month. Like, the price will only go down, right, it's depending true. on what you want to do. Uh, when you own, right? So on the other side of that, there's way much more power. So really, it's your time to buy if you realize there's opportunity, right? And and you you are devoting focused time and attention towards, you know, getting it. Yeah, so it's like, what inspired you to kind of do what you're doing now? Like, I know you kind of gave your story. Mm-hmm. We know real estate is one of the ways to wealth, because you could have went in any lane you wanted to, yeah. right? 
Yeah. Like, why, like, what inspired you to kind of do what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, I'm a real, like, I'm, I'm all about building community. I'm a nurturer. I'm a mother. But I've always been like, I want to help my people. I want to be a part of a shift in, you know, black people's position in this nation, right? Like, we are extremely... Um, Behind, I would say, you know, we're we're not starting from the same, you know, level. Um, there's a lot of education that needs to be given before we can even start talking about, you know, leveraging one property into another, right? So, I'm I'm doing the the work that the good work that needs to be done. I have a I have a heart. Um, I see a need for people to receive this information, whether they choose to use it or not. Um, I've found that just by leading with that intention of wanting to help and see people do good and see them well off is, is put me in a good place where I'm really blessed. I have a stable business. I have a growing business. I'm able to see people's literally change their family dynamic, create legacy, create a foundation, you know, and so that's rewarding for me. Gotcha. That's why I'm I'm in it. That's why I'm going to continue to do what I do to reach as many people as possible. And it's not just me. Like I said, it's three founding members of my team, Coalition Properties. Um, I'm one of eight other agents. Okay. Um, all of us are licensed in DMV. Like I said, so full range of wherever you're at in the process, we can help you get to where you want to be. Awesome. Okay. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay. So, just what lessons have you really learned going through just going through this process and just going through this market in general, right? I mean, DC is. I live in DC. Yeah. So DC can be it can it can be a challenge. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You know, what I mean? and then the resources in uh, in some areas are not all in other areas. We all know that, right? So, like, what things are you and when you're going and you're talking about these different neighborhoods, like what lessons have you learned? And trying to strategize and to get those people in those areas so you can so we can have more black ownership. Right. It's a process. People have to trust the process and it's a lot of fear that gets passed around in the media, right? So it's easy to just say, Oh, I heard a headline and it's stupid to buy right now, right? Like, do you understand in the in the real estate world, in the investment world, they would call you a fool for trying to time time the market and, and wait for the rates to go down. Like, never gonna be a good you know time. what I'm saying? So it's so much misinformation going on that it's like people will base that what they heard instead of actually doing the work of actually finding a, a professional in the field, right? Like not your financial planner, not your mom, not your dad, you know, not somebody in a different state. Um, it's real specific. DC is, is different than any other market, right? We are the most transient market where we're so close in terms of DC and Maryland, Virginia being close together. We also have a stable job market, um, government, military, education. There's always jobs in DC. There's there's a, there's a huge amount of money in DC. There's a lot of people that still have a lot of money, right? So. <laughs> A lot of people are doing well. Though. A lot of people are doing well, but then the narrative is like, oh, the economy is bad. It's a recession. It's a lot of like, you that know. don't hit here. Right. <laughs> you a can't, lot of us are doing well. Right. A lot of us are doing well. Like, I'm with a group of winners. Like, I'm still closing deals, and rates are 8%, but that's not the whole conversation, right? So, a lot of people will just listen and hear what they want to hear or let somebody talk them out of, you know, what really is the was the issue. So... I learned that, I guess, 
you it, being in this business, like it weeds out who's really serious about changing their life, right? Who's really serious about? Um, it's, it's a very vulnerable position to be in when you're buying a house, right? Like, but it weeds out certain members that eventually become the coalition community. Right, and so everybody can't come with you. Is 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 a big lesson. It's, like, it's not for everybody, right? But um, it's tons of resources out here. Uh, so I'm I'm always I'm always like actively daily pushing resources. When I say resources, there's like home buyer assistance programs that are specifically for DC. Right, um, and I can name a, a list of five of them right now. Right, so it's really about dissecting what's important to you. And if there is a will, there is a way. So I might have I'm gonna have a question, but I'm gonna answer. I'm gonna respond to something you said too, because I have learned just watching the market. Even when the interest rate go up, the market price come down. So when the interest rate go down, right, the prices goes up. I yeah, have, absolutely. That's absolutely right. So. Um, we're seeing that there are negotiations back on the table now that rates are higher, right? Properties are in the market a little longer. Not saying they're not selling because demand is still high. There's still more buyers than there are houses. There is still a housing shortage here in most places in the U.S., right? So right now with rates being higher, we're seeing sellers willing to negotiate concessions. When I say concessions, I mean contingencies like repairs, credits, uh, all these things that previously when rates were lower, you had more competition. You had more buyers flooding the market. So now there's a bidding war, yeah. right? Now people were waiving contingencies, waiving the appraisal, paying over the oh, appraisal yeah. value, yeah. right? They had to be a lot more cash positive, right? But all they see is the rate is low. So I'm, it's my time, right? So you have the price being bid up. You weighed all contingencies, so there's no inspection. There's not the the house, the house closing is not contingent <laughs> on the, right. You got about 24 hours, excuse me, or less, right? Because it's moving, it's off the market in two days, one day. Like you have time is not on your side. It's right? aggressive. So that's when rates were lower. Right. Now you have time. Now you know you can do a 30 day closing instead of a two week closing. Right? You got time to breathe. Um, and you have time to be more strategic about how you're going to, you know, navigate through the sales process. Um, so when rates were low, we saw a lot more competition. We saw prices being bid up. When you have to bring cash to the table um, because the house appraised for less than you're under contract, the bank is only financing up to the appraised value, right? Yeah. Yep. So that's cash that you're bringing to close on this home. There's a longer time period that you're going to be able to make a return on this investment as a purchase, right? A longer time that you're going to have to wait for appreciation because according to the bank, it's only worth this much, right? But we know there's different um, definitions of value, right? It's what the seller is wor- thinks is worth, is what the buyer thinks is worth, is what the bank thinks the house is worth, right? So difference between when the rates were lower and higher is, you know, right now there's a lot less competition, you have negotiations that is in favor of the buyer, right? The buyer is the one negotiating on price and, and condition and things like that. Um, and like I said, uh, there's a lot of opportunity in terms of home buyer assistance programs. Lenders have also gotten a lot more creative in terms of grants that they're offering people. So you have banks offering $10,000, $5,000, you know, below market interest rate. 
Got bugs um, on the table. It's right. a live podcast. Right. Now you got you got wildlife. <laughs> we, got, we got wildlife on the table. <laughs> you outside in farming. Farming. <laughs> farming in DC. So, so yeah, yeah, back to when I said like if it's your time, it's because you kind of understand the advantage of the opportunities now that were not when the rates were lower. Right. Okay, and my second was what are some of the biggest challenges that you have faced in your career? I have to be more than just a real estate agent because it's such an emotional decision. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're investing such a large amount of money and energy and time into something, right? So it's a lot of the things that hold people back from being able to purchase a home. Yeah. Um, especially, I would say, in the black community, like we're overcoming a lot more, right? How we think about money. Um, a lot of people are... First time home buyers, first generation home buyers, you know? Yeah. So, I don't even know what the original question was. What are some of the challenges <laughs> that you have? Yeah, the challenge, is, the challenge is uh, reaching these people that can move past the trauma, right? That would have otherwise held them back. I have to be, I have to, they have to, I have to gain their trust, right? But like I said, it goes a lot deeper than just like, the transaction itself a lot of times. So I don't want to say, like, I'm, like, a therapist, but, like, it gets deep. I'm, like, a therapist. Right. I'm, like, what exactly is going on? Well, I'm supporting my family, or this happened, you know. Mm. You know, there's there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of fear getting passed around. So, like, cutting through that has been a huge challenge, right? right? And, like. that fear trying to get them over there and do it. Right. I'm quite sure that's real. Like, the fear of. I'm going to have this for the next 30 years. Can I do it? Or I'm not worthy. It's not attainable to me. Like, it is, though. And that's like a whole other feat that people have to personally overcome. But I also have to be a part of that. Absolutely. So talk about, like, your most important lessons learned throughout this whole entire process. And kind of talk about, like, you touched on it a little bit about what COVID and how it changed your business. Right. So just talk about, like, the lessons learned that you can give to other real estate agents. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So for me, um, I didn't initially like join the team. It was a it was a big ego thing for me. I was like, no, nah, I'm gonna be my own. I'm gonna be a solo agent. You know, I mean, no so, wrong with being a broker now. Right. I mean, that's it's where the money is. Right. But then you're responsible for other agents if you're a broker. Sure. Right. Then you're doing everything if you are a solo agent. Right. So like me overcoming like I need to um, get where I'm going fast. <laughs> Right, and to do that, it's better to do that with a team rather than by myself. Right, right. Oh, so I guess I, I thought you were gonna keep keep going on that one, but um, so coalition properties. Like, I mean, coalition, yeah, it's coalition yeah. properties, correct? Yep. Um, so what's next? Well, what's next for you guys? You know, the next near term, long term. Like, what do you guys got going on right now? Yeah. Um, I mean, coincidentally, we just expanded to Philly. Okay. You know, more more life. Um. There's a big lawsuit going on in the real estate industry that just, um, they just made a judgment against Keller Williams Capital Properties and NAR. And so, you know, they have been ordered to pay $1.6 billion. It's, it's wow. huge, right? They, wow. they, they issued a verdict. Um, this is something that's been going on for a while. Uh, I think it originally started in 2019. Um, housing Department made a decision two years ago, but... You know, Friday they made the verdict. They, you know, they land on the verdict that 
you know, Keller Williams and a couple other brokerages are um, at fault for conspiring to keep pricing higher by um, enforcing cooperative compensation across agency, right? So basically, sellers are saying they didn't know that um, they're paying a buyer agent as well when they're paying for an agent to get their house sold or hiring an agent to get their house sold, right? So now what's going to be released um, to the public is sellers don't have to pay buyer agents, okay? So what does that mean? The buyer agent is going to have to pay for their, the buyers going to have to pay for their buyer agent. So what does that mean? A lot of first-time home buyers, people who are stepping into the market are going to have to spend less money on the home because they have to pay for an agent now. Right, so it's going to impact the business in terms of like your your dollar is going to buy you less if that's if that's what's you know what's happening. Um, I'm not worried about it, but it is something that's going to shift a lot of people's perspective. Like I said, there's already a lot of noise, a lot of distractions, a lot of fear that gets passed on, and so it's just going to be another um, deeper conversation on how I have the conversation with people about home home ownership, right? Um, and so we, it's, it's, it's going to, we've appealed, Keller Williams is that it's to appeal it. Um, it's not over yet, but it's a, it's a major shift in the real estate industry right now, as well as, you know, tech and AI changing the way everyone is doing business right now. Um, you know, there's talk about, will there be a need for agents in the future? Um, you know, a lot of, there's a, there's a big shift going on and, and that, verdict of the lawsuit is also a part of a big, you know, shift in how we're going to have, reframe our conversations with, mm. with, with mm. people that we're talking to. So coalition is, you know, actively trying to reach as many people as possible to be that resource. Uh, every year we do client appreciation events and we throw parties. We do seminars throughout the year. We're going to continue to do that. Uh, this year we're running out a uh, space lounge on U Street. Oh, wow. mm. Yeah, we always do it big. We do like to celebrate in there. our people. Yeah, right. we need that invite. We're in there. Listen, uh, schedule, show. A, schedule a buyer <laughs> consultation with me, and I'll get you a ticket, okay? We're in there. Uh, right. So it's, a, it's a community of our, our clients, future, right. past, you right. know, current. Um, that's what we aim to continue to build and grow. And that's, you know, we had OwnerCon uh, a month ago. It's 100 homeowners in the building, and we have vendors like... <laughs> Solar specialists, lenders, um, title. We have uh, developers that are talking about if you want to, you know, be a part of literally, you know, building, developing a skyscraper or owning multi-unit property. Um, we are the resource for that. Like I said, there's there's nobody in the in the DC area that's doing it as a black real estate team larger than Coalition Properties. So listen, man, we definitely thank you for jumping on the show. So give us all the, the details, like your Instagram, your give us all the details. TikToks, so, everything, everything every platform you on. I'm on Instagram. My team is Coalition PG at Coalition PG on Instagram. I'm yeah. Summer Davis R E. So you can follow me on Instagram. Um, our website is coalitionpg.com I am doing a seminar November 4th Um, you can check out the details on my Instagram it's about 
um, I'm partnering with one of our lender partner lenders that is offering $10,000 uh, grant towards your home purchase. Okay. So we go through the process of financial expectations, uh, beginning to end of what it takes to buy a home. And then, you know, if you want to uh, receive that information, you know, tune in is, is hybrid. So it's, it's uh, virtual and it's in person. Okay. Um, like I said, we have we have a, a lot of client events that we're throwing. So we like run out of movie theater November 11. So uh-huh. I mean, all it takes is a referral. I love referrals. Sure. I love to work with people. If you have friends, you know, are in the market, you know, yeah, tell absolutely. them to look up properties. I know, I know properties. somebody. I yeah, know somebody. I send brownies. I'll send you, you know, a thank <laughs> you. I'm trying you to tell them invite to the party. <laughs> right. Yeah, I got you. Well, yeah, we, we appreciate you having you here. Mm-hmm. We didn't. I don't want to leave you unintroduced <laughs> over here because she was just kind of just. <laughs> Rachel just Rachel. no, no, I don't want me on. Rachel's supporting. Okay, Rachel's all right, we got you. We got Rachel's you. supporting. All right, well, uh, supporting. Once again, thank you, man. Thank you. Once again, we got Summer Davis Coalition Properties. Thank you. So we give you a round of applause. Thank you for coming out. All right, we're back with our next guest from the hoodie season. Car, you didn't give us your last name. Oh, um, no last names. No. Uh, <laughs> she, don't, she don't want to be uh, discovered. Cara yeah, Sherman. Cara Sherman. Sherman in the building. Sherman in the building. <laughs> give you a round of applause. There we go. So good to have you here. Now you're going to talk to us about the hoodie season, how you guys got to this point. This is the... I think you call it Value 5, right? Value 7. Value 7, the seventh yes. year of the hoodie season. Yes. Um, so let's jump into it. Like, how did you guys, how was your starting point, year one, and then how are you just branched off to your yard today? Yeah, so uh, DJ actually started this as a celebration um, just to kind of build community within the D.C. area. He's not from here, so he just wanted to. He's from Kentucky, right? He's from Kentucky. Right. Wow. And so, you know. D.C. can be a little bit alienating when you're not from here. You know, you just might not be able to form a community. He did tell us. He told a little bit of the backstory that he needs some friends. It's just rough. It's rough when you first move here because everybody's first question is like, what's your job? What you do? Like, why are you here? want that BG, (laughs) that background. He just wanted it to be a cool vibe for his friends. And so it started with about, like, 20 people. Okay. Um, And then each year it started to grow, and he decided, you know, well, I have all these people coming to this event. Maybe I could turn it into something beneficial for the community. Um, So he partnered with the Hustlers Guild and Dolphins and Dreams, so Hustlers Guild uh, does, like, STEM programming for DC youth, and then Dolls and Dreams, they uh, supply hoodies and coats for um, unhoused youth in the DC area, or just people struggling, so then nobody comes to school not warm, like, school is hard enough to get up in the morning and get there, and if you're not warm, that's, like, a basic human instinct is to first try to warm yourself, so... Um, that was a great initiative that he partnered with in, I think, the third or fourth year. Right. Um, so he's been partnering with them for now about four years. 
Uh, so each year it gets bigger, each year it gets better. Um, and I think you guys came on, was it last year? Your yeah, first it was last year. Now you're six, it was our first year. No, now yeah. you're six was, was your first year. Was it last year or the year before? It was last year. Last year. Oh, okay. It was last year. Because awesome. so it was over there. Yeah, we were over there. It was in that park area over there. Right, right, right. You know, what's your family? We're going to have you come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. DJ Mitchell, he called me immediately. And then we had that conversation. We love being there. That's awesome. So what, talk to us about what's your role in the whole hoodie season. Yeah, so um, I am the social media coordinator. So um, basically anything you see on Instagram. Y'all do be lit. That's, that's uh, I'm over that. So <laughs> last year, last year I was the sole person putting out the content, but we actually had Jamar on Instagram this year and I was on TikTok. So we're, we're growing that. Growing the numbers. Growing that role. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, because... In this business, right, promoting stuff, you can have a great product, but if you ain't reaching the people, exactly. so you a major part to spreading like the gospel. You like the pastor, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're in the pulpit. You're in the pulpit. So, what dynamic do y'all have? Like, how the numbers? How do you go measure the measurements? Uh, who you reaching? The age group? Yeah. Uh, just explain. How you go through all that? Yeah, so um, I'm very familiar with Instagram. So TikTok, this is my first year on TikTok. So it's different, it's it's a different a dynamics, different beast, which yeah. is huge right yeah. now. It's huge, and like you, it has the potential to grow so quickly. Right. Yeah. Um, but with Instagram, I'm very familiar with the analytics, so you can kind of go in and see like what age range you're reaching. You can see how many people are viewing your, even your posts, and also your reels. How many people are viewing your stories? If people are in interacting with the story if like someone looks at your story and then goes to your profile so you can check all of that and make sure you're actually creating content that people are relating to and interacting with Um, because somebody just like tapping through the story isn't really going to get them to come to your event but if that story gets them to go to your profile and then maybe go to your website then you know that's the type of content you need to continue to create do you get people who slide like comment and do you comment back be like yeah this yeah so. yeah so we try to have conversations with okay. people um and once you start engaging people then they start telling their friends about what's going right. on and that's when you start to see your numbers actually growing yeah. yeah so you definitely if somebody comments on the post you want to respond if somebody dm'd you you want to respond um even if somebody like likes your story just like going to their page and seeing like what's going on over there maybe liking their story it's kind of like you know yeah, it's just, so you want to so you want those people that be at the bottom yes like when you go and look at that, like see who looked at the story, you the see them down. Yeah, up. you'd be like, oh, okay. So it's kind of like playing the game. Yeah. Exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, that, showing that we cool people. Look, I, I'm gonna talk back to you. Oh, they cool. It's, it's relationship yeah, building. Exactly. It's relationship building. Communication. Exactly. I always say it's key. Yes. <laughs> so, from season one, year one, to now today, like, what have you seen? As, I mean, you're you, 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 you like you coordinate social media, like, but what have you seen that really has helped this grow such a, at a, at a really expensive rate, right? Because, I mean, even though it's been seven years, I mean, you guys have sold out. I mean, you think you sold out of tickets this time, yeah. right? So, yeah. like, how did you think, like, what do you think has been involved in getting this to where this at the, at this point? So, I actually came on in year four. Right. So, I was only 
a year or two ahead of you guys. Okay. So, um, but I've seen growth even from that point, and I think really what it is, just the personalities that are involved in the committee, like everyone seems to be very friendly, very outgoing. So there's a lot of like ground communication too that's going off, going on offline and not on social media. So I think building relationships is more important than anything that we can do. Like, I mean, we tell all our friends and, you know, we have codes so we can see like whose code is performing the best. So then it's like a little competition. Uh, like, okay. Oh, is the G bill code doing the best? Which was my code. By okay. The way. Okay. Right. So she repped that, right? <laughs> Which is my code. So is that code doing the best this week? Um, so that I have seen. And also just the, Telling people the story and what uh, organizations were benefiting, I think that that has been helpful in growing the, just the event and also the mission. Yeah, so talk us like some of the challenges because, like, you know, drawing a, a, a cookout event with different vendors and sponsors, like, what are those obstacles? What's the day to day like trying to put this together? So the hardest thing this year was actually securing a venue. Um, we went through a lot with, like, DC Parks and Rec and, like, trying to actually get them to sign on to what we were trying to do. And then also just being able to have this large of a group of people outside in D.C. is difficult. Um, also trying to... Um, just make sure that everybody was on the same page about the mission of the event was also like a challenge because you know people can you can grow pretty quickly um, but maintaining the heart of the event and what people are actually coming to participate in is very important so that's one of the challenges that we had to overcome but we're a very communicative group <laughs> we, we bounce ideas off of each other we do well with that so I think it I think it turned out good. <laughs> uh, it's an amazing I'm event. And where is where you where originally are you from? Are you from this area? Or? So that's a whole thing. Oh, right? Yeah, like because uh, I'm just wondering, like whole right. situation. Right, it's a whole situation. So I was born in South Carolina. Okay. Um, but I grew up here, so we moved here when I was like seven months old, oh, and then yeah. I lived here until the middle of high school, and then we moved to Georgia. Okay. So I, when people ask me where I'm from, I'm like, uh, I'm from Malala. Well, I'm asked, I just asked that question because. I was wondering, is your story similar like DJ's story, right? Where, you know, you moved up here, more of a transplant, and you wanted to get involved in other uh, organizational activities and, and, I guess, meet people. Like, was their story, like, the same way, and that's how you got involved in this? Yeah, so I kind of felt like a transplant when I came back um, because this is my home. Like, I have a lot of family here. Yeah, it's not Chaka City anymore, right? That part. Right, right. right. It looked different. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, but... um, yeah, getting making friends is different from like your cousins and your family. Like you have to have your own segment. So I did kind of feel like that when I came back. So to pick it back off that right that uh, I'm trying to process how I must word this because having this event seven years later, you'll hear no gun violence, no nothing. And look, I crossed Martin Luther King. I'm from New Orleans. Every black city, <laughs> once you pass MLK, we say it's on. <laughs> it did. And so, it's true. It's nothing. This is like a great vibe. And when I first moved to D.C. from New Orleans, I was amazed how successful black people is in this area. And it like it motivated me. You ain't got to trap. You ain't got to do this. You can actually make it. 
starting your business nine to five. You can have uh, so kudos to you guys. How you guys go about that? Putting this out. Ain't no humbuggers going on. Ain't no violence. Ain't nobody. Everybody promoting each other, supporting each other, and it's love. So I just want to say, if you want to explain how that go about, but I just for that. It's crazy. Like. I love that, and I love because that's a perception that we wanted, Like especially when uh, we started incorporating the vendors mm-hmm. and supporting black businesses because D.C. once was Chocolate City. Right, right. Uh, I think it still is. Even though you got no, it's not. They gentrify hard. I was in Houston this other two weeks. That's Chocolate City. Houston was Chocolate City. I live in Bowie. I live in Bowie. So it's all good. I think Bowie more. I think that's Chocolate City. Over city over DC now? The suburbs yeah, yeah, yeah. are so more talking. Sure, but sure. go ahead and you know, go ahead. Yeah, so um that was one of the reasons why my parents actually moved here before I was born. Like that's right. why they moved here because they saw the opportunities that black people had here to be successful mm-hmm. without doing, you know, the things that right. are associated with us. That's not typically what we do, but that's right. what ends up being associated with us Um, but they saw the vast opportunities here and so um, we wanted to incorporate black businesses in this event because not only can you like go and get a good government job in DC like that's a lot of stuff too right Right. but you can do other things and like we have a lot of I mean we have vendor row now there's like probably 15 businesses here that are all black owned so I think that's an incredible um, part of this event, right? Yeah, that's exciting too, yeah. right? Like, you know what I mean to bring those people together. Because when you think of here, right, everybody think, "Oh, you work for the government." Right. No, it's a lot of other stuff going on other than right. the government. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> so, talk about how do you guys pick your sponsors? Like, how do those sponsors align with your mission? Like, have you turned people down? Because I'm sure, like now, people have seen how big the event is. And they want to be a part of it to get their brand out. Like, how do you go, talk about that process? Yeah, so um, we we haven't yet turned down a sponsor. Um, but the way that we do our sponsor outreach is very strategic. So the people that we reach out to align with our mission. So everybody that we reach out to is a black-owned business in the D.C. area that is either new or growing exponentially. Or um, our vendors are actually people who reach out to us, but the sponsors specific are black-owned businesses within the D.C. DMV area, really. Um, so we're not really reaching out to sponsors that aren't aligned with our mission. So we haven't had to turn anybody down yet. But. So I just want to follow up with that question, right? So even picking this location, then last year over there, is this strategic? Mm-hmm. Is to be in this area, to be in Southeast, or some people call it Southeast, Southwest, but to be in Southeast D.C.? Because uh, well, you can probably be anywhere. You can be somewhere anywhere in D.C. or even Maryland or Virginia or somewhere like that. You can host it anywhere. Yeah, so it's strategic to be in D.C. for sure. Right. Um, but the the location is not really specific, but we definitely want it to be our people, our vibe, right. somewhere that we're going to flourish. Um, right. So... We haven't really looked at anything like in the areas that are heavily gentrified. Right. Um, we haven't really looked at venues there. I mean, that's good though, because I mean, you introduce people to this area. In this area is, uh, I mean, people don't realize they have parks. I, I live yeah. in, I live in this area. Yeah. Right. So people don't don't understand like there's parks up down now. It, it can get it get late and get it can get loud and get a little cracking too. Uh, uh, I definitely uh, I've heard a few things at night, but. <laughs> 
Yeah. But I will say that people don't understand, like, there are parks, there are things yeah. to do. It's just not a lot of, like, other resources or businesses in this area yeah. that people, like, like, you know, grocery stores, stuff like that are not available for a lot of the residents in the area. But for the most part, these areas are pretty nice, pretty safe areas so that people can go in and just enjoy themselves. Yeah, so one thing that we did this year was we partnered with a walking group called We Be Walking, and they walked within the How many miles? Area. I need to get my steps they up. Did, <laughs> I think they did a mile and a half today, but most oh, of their walks are, I need to get my like, steps up. <laughs> most of their walks are under three miles, so, oh, like, no. everybody could join all fitness levels. Right. Um, but that was one of the things that was part of their mission was to get people to see, like, the parks and things in right. this area. Right. So that was a strategic partnership that we did. Absolutely. See? That's dope yeah. right there. Right. And this is going to be my last question, right? Because I want to expound on what you're saying in this area. Because I'm looking, right? I'm saying this probably been here behind us years. Then I'm looking at this new development right here. Mm-hmm. So how can we, and it's happening in every city, right? They trying to push us out to the suburbs. Where we at right now, we probably 10 minutes from the harbor. Mm-hmm. Probably 10 minutes from downtown. Mm-hmm. 10 minutes. Yes, I am. 15 minutes from, I am 10 yes, minutes I am. from the Pentagon. Everybody in the world have heard of the Pentagon. And I think they do this on purpose to let the crime come, run the school run the school system down, push you to, so let me say, Bowie, uh, Columbia, Crofton, and then they moved in and we'll be on outskirts, right? So what's the message how we can get people to invest, like you said, in our neighborhood, get back and come back and buy. Because once you move out, the property is so sky high, you can't come back once you realize what is going on. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't... I think one of the things that you hit on was that they allow the crime rate to skyrocket. So, it's not so much that people don't want to invest in the neighborhood. I mean, people own these homes already, but... They will allow the crime rate to get so bad to where you don't feel safe staying there. And a lot of us don't have the economic capacity to move somewhere else and maintain our property here. So, like, if we're going to move out for our safety, then we we have to sell that property. Um, so one of the things that we can do is address the underlying issues that lead to violence, that lead to people, you know, committing not even just violent crimes. The crime, no, the crime. We can't be on no yeah. snitch. We want to protect and. Um, you know who the killer is, but you let it go. Right, right. But, but even, you, even, but there are even some crimes like theft or things like that right. that are crimes not of convenience, but for need. Right. And so, just wrapping our arms around the community, supporting the community, making sure people are fed, housed, clothed, those types of things come together. Come together as a community, right. Right. addressing the underlying right. issues. Right, can and, be that's, and that's the thing. Mm-hmm. And and that's the point I was trying to make. You make. We need to come together, feed people. Now, you ain't even know your neighbor. Baby, you hungry? Yeah. Right. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> Boy, I know your mom. Stop that. Yep. Yeah. We can't even speak to kids no more because we'll feel right. like. Yeah. And that's what we have lost, and that's why they are taking advantage of. Mm-hmm. And that's a great point. Well, I'd dime you out. You come my block. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now. Like, I'm going to let you know what's going on. I see I see a car drive slow. I'm like, yeah, let me. But the thing, like she said, which is I agree with you. But like she said, we need to just, okay, you hungry, you don't need to rob us. 
you need a two dollars. Yeah, you need to be a favorite neighbor. You need, you need, you need to be afraid of them, right? Yeah. You yeah. don't have to do that. Then you go. You're still sending somebody to jail. You know what I'm saying? So that's the, that's the point I'm trying to make. Because they're taking advantage of it. Yeah. yeah. And they're oh, moving yeah. into our neighborhood. And I'm sitting in an hour and 20 minutes of traffic. And I'm sick of it. Right. <laughs> well, man, you live in Bowie, so we don't even know what you're talking yeah, about, man. You, know, man. you live in Bowie. That's and I'm in an hour and 20 minutes of traffic. And I'm sick of it. it man, that's rough. your fault. That commute is rough. <laughs> All right, guys, you have any more questions? No, that's, that's it, bro. That's it. Give us the, the IG, all that. What y'all so need from people to donate, all that good stuff. So the Instagram is Hoodie Season LTD. The uh, TikTok is Hoodie S, Z as in Zeta, N as in Nancy, LTD. And what we need is hoodie donations. We need volunteers. So anybody who's available to support setting up the event next year, you can get involved as early as now. Um, you can hit us up on hoodieseasonltd.com and check out our sponsor category, vendor category, or volunteer category. And also just to get an idea of what our mission is there. So we're trying to get the volume value eight. Right, we try to get to volume one hundred. So, infinity, so listen, so you definitely need to hit her up and let them know, and so get involved. Yes. And it's a great, and it's a great vibe out here. Yeah, it's a vibe. And since uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Right, time changing. Uh, the weather be the weather be real nice in November. Daylight savings time. Yeah, no, no. Time go back tomorrow. No, I ain't talking about that. When um, temperature. When the weather's starting, it shouldn't be cold. It's, it's warm. Oh, global warming. Global warming, warming yeah. keeping it real right now on the East Coast. Oh, it's warm. It's warm right now in November. Yeah, we, we got you, man. All your brothers, we're going to donate some hoodies. Awesome. Yeah, we're going to take care of y'all. Thank you, know, you thank you. We, you know, we always about giving back. Yeah. We're going to make it happen. Yeah, that Ray, he's definitely giving back. Oh, we yeah, ain't know about that. We ain't know about the hoodies. Yeah, like, man, when, when where we going to get these hoodies from? Look, man, when you, look, if it got to come in my own pocket, don't matter. Look, we just get We just get We definitely get back, bro. We hoodie. That they not wear. We definitely, oh, oh, absolutely, we definitely. We got clothes that are still good. I'm just giving him a hard time. I'm like, but we're all gonna, right. we're gonna have it. We're gonna flood the streets with the uh, Hogging Brothers hoodies, man. We're gonna take care. Yeah, we got plenty. We got plenty to give away. Yeah, we're gonna take. Like I said, when you, all, all, even in vain, Hogging Brother, even you got a hoodie, you ain't wear no more. Give it away. Give it away. Absolutely. Yeah, I got a whole because it's, it's, it's some people that don't have. A, a be grateful. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like when you, what y'all doing, y'all blessing other people, man. That's why y'all blessed. You know what I'm saying? So like I said, we gonna go to buy. You make next year and in infinity. So and we're here every year, people. Yeah, we're here, man. So thank you for coming on the show card. And uh, we're here, hoodie season volume seven. Yes, thank you. Now, all right, we are back again uh, with our next guest, Miss Jasmine. Lena, Raina, the executive founder of the Hustler Guide. Let's give her a round of applause. Yes, sir. Give her applause. And I love that name, by the way. Welcome to the show. Now, before we dive into this interview, because I've been wanting to do this for a very long time, first and foremost, uh, let me put out there that she is also a graduate of the Alabama State University, and she's acting all. She's doing the most right now. Boom! Yeah, because I'm looking at her like, boom, like, 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 boom, boom, boom. like, I want you to get into this vibe because she over here just she's I mean, chilling, she's moving, she's moving, she's chilling. But uh, she what is a graduate mean? of the Alabama State University, so I need that. I want to see that Bama State love. Bama State pride. I need that Bama State love and pride going on right Come now. 
That's how y'all represent the Bama State? Because <laughs> we are not feeling it. What? Yes, on, how man. you doing today? How you doing today? How we are need, all, how are you doing we need today? all the smoke. How are you doing today? How are you doing? We need to get started yet. We're starting now. How are you? We on. We live. You good? You good? You good? You sure you good? Life's good? Yeah. You good? Right, that's Gucci. We get it in. All right, so we're going we're gonna to start off um, um, and go through a, like our trajectory of how you got to the hustler guy to start in that foundation. Gil. Gil. I do say it wrong every time. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you I'm glad you correct me. The hustler Gil. And starting that uh that and starting that trajectory of that foundation. So first I know you came once you graduated Bama State, you was a White House intern. Like let's start there. Like you came there and then you worked like, how was that experience? So actually after I graduated, I went to the department of uh, I went to DOD, Department of Defense, and I was oh, okay. for two years, and then right. I jumped there and then went to White House as an intern. Right. And then I started my career at the White House for five years afterwards, and then from there, I went to Homeland. Okay. So, national security background. Okay, okay. Thank, Thank you for correcting me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at the highest level. Thank you for correcting me. I, don't, I always guess, but I, 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 knew, I knew that you, had, uh, you did accomplish a lot of different things. Yeah. And then you turned into the, the hustler. Like right, so HG was started um, right after, what was that, eight years of doing uh, federal work. Uh, the idea of it is essentially to create a safe place for kids who are in low and performing neighborhoods to have exposure, access, and opportunities through resources and network, whether it's from a corporate standpoint or from state and local legislation. Yeah, I'm just going to keep looking like there's, there's more to that. <laughs> right? Like, and so, so, okay. <laughs> You did. Uh, I mean, you're, 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 I tell you what, Alabama State boy. I tell you, now I see it. Now I see it. You definitely answered the question correct. So you you started that, and then you 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 create this foundation, and then now like you're you're moving on to this. Like I think you just adopted two different schools, school systems. Like you're doing other things to build on this foundation. Like what else are you doing too? Right. So we are entering in year seven, and right. every year we adopt two schools. So. Um, schools have to send in a partnership request to us to review to figure out what their needs are, but we kind of only work with uh, schools who have like a long-term strategic plan of impact mm-hmm. and a scope of work in the area. So we were able to get two schools to submit a proposal based on an incentivized program that mirrors kind of what we do. We do incentivized program to keep the kids engaged into programming. So um, behavior, attendance, uh, grades, uh, we do like a pay scale off of it just to kind of teach them what the real world is like. So if they miss programming, um, that's deducted from their pay or access to programming. If they come, then they get more. So they found a way to do that into their schools uh, to make sure that the attendance stay at a certain level. So we decided to adopt some of their programs that they do there to reward the kids. So, like, what, why are y'all so passionate about this particular space? Um, I think that all of the co-founders, Kevin, Jason, and myself, we all come from similar backgrounds mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent. So Kevin and I worked at the White House together. And um, during that time, I would say it was probably about 20, 20 to 25 black staffers um, that was on uh, the White House as a political yeah. that, that was there. So, like, you know, when you meet people from that space, a lot of people don't make it to get to work at the White House. It's so competitive. So, right. you know, you have thousands, dozens of thousands of people that are constantly applying for jobs. And to, to get in there, that's literally the, the highest office in this country and one of the most respected globally. 
right? So how many people you think you're going to find that come from the, the, the same background? I grew up, like, a mile away from here. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so working at 1600, um, I was the first girl in my college, I mean, girl in my family to go to college. My brother was the first boy. He's only two years older than me. Like, how much can he right. help me yeah. try to figure out the landscape of what academic looked like? Um, and then another thing about it is that, you know, like, growing up, like, two of my childhood friends I grew up on the same street with, they, they were killed before I graduated high school. Wow. Right? So that's a different kind of trauma that you get exposed to. Yep. And to make it that far, it's like you get the internal knowledge. So I tell, my, I tell kids all the time that I can teach you anything that's in a book, but it's everything that's outside of the book that helps you sustain yourself within the ecosystem. And who's going to tell you that if no one is there? My father, he's not American. My mother from the ghetto, so, like, her family's super hood. Yeah. Um, and our family, you say you going to college, I mean, you going to jail in the feds. Wow. So wow. that is just like when you see how much um, social capital can change your life being in that space, then it's like you have a ton of resources. Yeah. I feel like the White House literally changed my life. Like, oh, seriously, awesome. from the Rolodex and just the access and the knowledge that I have, it changed everything. Man, it's amazing. So <laughs> I want to pick it back on, I'm going to play off that. You made it to the White House, right? Coming from where you come from. And now you're going in the school system. You know, we've been taught just teaching books don't teach you the real world. Like you said, y'all teaching life skills, how to deal with the world. Because like, kids looking like, okay, you teaching me about history, some stuff that don't apply to the real world. And, like, when I was coming up, you had, like, skills stuff, in which this went away. I felt like... And I feel like just listening to your conversation, that's what you're bringing on, how to survive in the real world, not just reading a book and, okay, we got a test on Friday. Right. And you pass and get an A or B. But that don't help you when you need skills. Like we have shop or welding or this and that. Or, you know what I'm saying? Owning your own business. Like coming up, you ain't think You was taught, oh, you go to college, you get a degree, and then you find a nine-to-five. You're actually teaching skills. So it all made you one, because you made it. You come from where you're from, going to the White House and saying, look, I'm going to teach you the real skills, how you can own your business, pick a skill or whatever. So explain what made you want to do that. I, I think the, the biggest part as far as, like, being successful and working at the capacity that I did when it came to being a appointee was a lot of my jobs came, well, a lot of places I got landed dealt with relationship management, right? So... Um, I got to see, like, I suck at math. Like, you me know too, what I mean? Me too. Like, I get a tutor for my son. <laughs> I, I am trash at math. I, I can write. I think everybody trash I, like, at math. Just new math is new math. ridiculous now. Right. But when I think everybody got to get a tutor. It, it's like, it was, it was like really kind of like, okay, I, I know what I'm good at, but it wasn't like a subject, right? It wasn't like, okay, I'm amazing at this. It's just understanding what skill set can do. Like, people... Like, like the kids, right? They don't know how to have a conversation with you. They don't know how to just do certain things. I understand, like, relationship management. I understand that that can land you partnership jobs. You can close deals. You could be a negotiator. There are different jobs that you can have that you don't have to just, like, oh, I'm good at math. I want to go be an engineer. You could just be good at just, you know how to talk to people. And I think that a lot of kids didn't understand or knew. I didn't know that you could have a partnership job. And so I got the partnership job. I was like, oh, this is different. Like, they just pay you to travel to go, like, close deals and make deals and um, present different policies and try to get people on board. But the thing that did that, it wasn't that I knew 
about the, the stuff that I had in front of me because I used to oversee the blue campaign, if you know what that is. That's the human trafficking campaign from a federal level. So my job was to identify um Can you explain highways. to the people that may not know yeah. what a blue campaign is? So the blue campaign is a human trafficking campaign that uh, pretty much bring down human trafficking rings across the uh, across the country. Uh, so, like, a big job of mine was to, like, you know, work with, like, different hotels and airlines and highways and um, different governors to figure out how we can decrease human smuggling and human trafficking, right? But I didn't know about that policy stuff. My job was that. My job was to make friends with governors and mayors and stuff like that and to then get them on board with policy, and they did it based off of the interaction with me not necessarily what the policy stood for, right? And so I think once you understand that a lot of jobs don't necessarily mean that you have to be an expert textbook-wise, but you can have other uh, skills that would help you kind of maneuver through, I think that that's important for kids to know. Like everything is not always like book real. It's good, and the experience is good to, to kind of build off of, but it's not something that you need. Right, exactly. That was my point. I want you to explain that. Yeah. I saw where you was going when you said you had y'all went. <clears throat> It's just not book smart. Yeah. You can be book smart and oh, no common sense. Yeah. How to maneuver. Right. Yes. 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 All right. So within your program, how do you keep your kids engaged? How, how do you engage? Like, I know you do different partnerships. You, you take them to different events. You do different things. But how do you keep those kids engaged from the point of the entry until they, until they either graduate or move on to college? Like, how do you keep them dialed into their program so that they make sure they finish? I think people really underestimate the fact of presence when it comes to kids. If you are consistent with them, they stay engaged. A lot of people who go and try to work with kids, I don't allow anyone to come around my kids. So unless you're actually dedicated to a certain amount of time around them, I don't allow people to come and just like, I want to come mentor. No. Mentorship with these kids require a lot more than someone else who have a little bit more. Um, So consistency is number one. And then it's the candy, the candy and medicine of how we engage them. So it's give and take. It's negotiation. Tell me what you want. I'll tell you what I need from you in order to get it. And then I make sure that I give them what they want and they give me what they want. And I also give them a space to express how they feel. So my rule with everything that we do is we check egos at the door and the kids come first. And the kids have to understand that we respect everyone. So kids... Have to respect peers, adults, and everyone else. So we build an environment of a safe place with the kids. And, you know, the artists and the entertainers and the sneakers and the money, that's just the perks of it. We we have a safe place for them to come and tell us how they feel and what they're going through and how they can rely on us, and we're consistent with that presence. So that's how we keep them engaged is we stay consistent. Because you can go and do – you could drop off some sneakers – at any of these schools, that whatever you want to, but that don't mean that the kids won't participate in your programming. That's true. Right? And, so kids, like, and kids know when you got their best interests, or you just going through the motion, uh, checking them box. Yeah, I told. Uh, yeah, especially the, our super book smart people that just come and just like, oh, I want to do this. I be like, just don't don't underestimate that they know that you're full of shit. Because yes. once you do that, like you already lost the game. You have to really right. kind of understand that these kids have abandonment issues. They have like insecurities. They've been through so much stuff that people can't even imagine. 
And just because you have a few letters behind your name doesn't discount the fact that they have right. a social and emotional intelligence that's right. beyond what you probably right. learned in textbooks. So. Because yeah, they're going home dealing with real life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're doing some crazy stuff. Yeah. A lot going on. Yeah. yeah. So talk about the... Uh, the Hustlers Guild's most successful accomplishments, like the, the partnerships with Matt Barnes and Steven Jackson and the, the Washington Commanders? Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't consider any of those to be, like, our most uh, successful uh, things. From, as an organization, the fact that we're still operating at year seven is it's probably, like, the biggest accomplishment just because... <laughs> It's a blessing. <laughs> yeah, black women are the most underfunded um, organizations here. Like, we have, like, 0.02% of funding access. So, yeah, we're really, um, after year five, the numbers kind of decrease more as far as, like, who is actually operating. So, I would say the biggest thing right now is that it's year seven, and we're still, we're still gunning for it. But, I mean, Matt and the Commanders and Rock Nation and Microsoft and Apple – that's amazing. Yeah. But we're operating to me is the, the biggest thing is that we have consistently put up numbers. We have a wait list of kids who want to be in the program. We have people who want to be a part of it. We, we're getting the proposals from those people. We're, we're having schools propose to us to be a part of their school instead of us, like, knocking down doors. So, yeah. to me, it's it's about that. I feel like everything else, it just kind of comes with the territory. It's a blessing, man. Like you say, some, some people don't make it to year two, year three, right? Yeah. And, you know, to have y'all keep going. I know y'all have had a ton of challenges. Oh, yeah. Right? So to keep pushing in year seven and year, man, it's a blessing, man. So what advice would you give someone like you or like us who are trying to start a nonprofit? Uh, my advice to starting nonprofits is don't. Uh, I always tell people don't do it just because um, – there's probably someone else that's doing the work, number one. And you can find ways to help from there. Uh, number two, it takes uh, a ton of work to stay committed to, and you can help in other ways. So I always tell people, don't start a nonprofit. Find someone else who's doing the work first. I tried to go in under another nonprofit as just a program, and everyone refused to do it because they said capacity-wise it would probably overshadow the other program. So I was kind of forced to start the nonprofit, but I was not looking to go start. Come on in. Come on in. Hi. Okay. Kudos to the mentorship because that is number one. But um, how many kids do you guys have or like keep on a track before they graduate out? Or So um, we service. So this is where you kind of get to understand nonprofit work. So we service. 875,000 families through capacity building. Okay. We. Wait, repeat, repeat, repeat that again. How many? So this, so when you do capacity building, so the way that impact work is that you have a capacity building and you do like direct services. Capacity building essentially means that we equip other nonprofits with our curriculum and resources in order right. to impact their kids. Right. That's capacity building. So that's 875000 that we're able to do through our corporate partners. Right. When it comes to our internal cohort, our two schools put us at about 800 kids. 
But in our direct programming, I have uh, 16 kids a year that go through programming with me for two years. So every two years, they'll kind of be like finished with their programming and we'll put them somewhere else. Is there a limit to me how many kids of 800 is is that your limit or you see two schools so those two schools count for the 800 kids so what we do is we teach we teach the school how to interact with the kids based on how we interact with our cohort of 16 so they have they have the metrics that they have to meet in order to be the partner so their metrics have to be at a certain standard of what we want it to be in order for them to get the access to our resources so do you train them the metrics that you have yeah, so so they, kind of, yeah the curriculum so the curriculum, we'll give them like okay. a, hey this is the curriculum this is like where they should be these are the tactics and this is how you kind of get them where they want and then once they meet the, that data, then we kind of, like, give them the stuff that they need in order to, like, you know, keep the kids engaged. So how difficult was it you to get to that point where you can take that curriculum and put it in those in, in those different organizations and be able to train to be able to understand how to provide that type of service? Um, I mean, it came, like, probably within, like, we started in the end of 2017 to so 2018, that first year. At the end of the next year, we got hit with the pandemic. And then we had a restart, hit reset on everything for 2020. At the end of 2021, so about 2021, we figured it out from 2017 to 2021. Because the pandemic, you, you have your, your pilot year, your beta year. We got hit with the pandemic, so we had two years to go back through pilot and beta, and then we came back. Mm. Oh, wow. Okay. That's a lot of lessons learned, too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, life ain't the same no more, so you got to figure it out. Yeah. Got to adapt. If you don't adapt, you're going to die. Okay. So what do you think about the current state of the young kids? Because some people try to put a bad, and I think our young generation is way, I just think we are somewhat just misunderstood. What you think about the current state of this generation and how to get a hold of them, to relate to them, and get on the same level to teach them how to go forward with that, we'll have their back in different situations. Um, I think when it comes to uh, the population of kids that I deal with, I think that the current state of them is that it's it's a generational thing. Number one, it's it's going to take some true generational curse breaking in order to kind of like stop and reset and kind of like get them on the right path. Um, a lot of the kids I deal with um, that are in like middle school, high school, I'm older than their parents. So if you have someone who's maybe 32, 33 with a 16-year-old, how much did they teach them based off of what they know and what experiences do they know? And then I have a 14-year-old that has a kid on the way in my programs. So it's like, how how do you get out of that? And it's, it takes a, a different way of kind of like getting them what they need to know. But you already know it's not based off of equality. It's based off of equity. So they need more resources, more training. Uh, more funding to kind of get them to go where they need to go. But then they also, um, a big thing with our kids now is that they're focusing on, like, drill and trap music. And so now we're battling, like, you know, the them spinning the block and, you know, them on the drugs and stuff like that. So it's different components to go into it, but it's all effects of poverty and um, gentrification, isolation. So those uh, all have something that, to do with it, and it causes tension um, when you put different social economic classes together in a, in a space that people see how someone living on, it could be next door to you versus how you live in, you already become envious of yeah. things that they do have and stuff like that. 
So I, I feel like it's not an inclusive environment that people can feel like they're a part of the community. So what's next for y'all? What's next? Yeah, what's next? Uh, um, <laughs> so we had just launched, well, today we just rolled out our, um, our youth uh, commanders ambassador program. That will be training kids uh, from sports and entertainment on uh, what careers and stuff look like to kind of pursue in there. So today is the first day of enrollment, and that's going to be the next the next thing. Awesome. Into the, into the thing. So make sure you give out your Instagrams, all the details, so people can follow y'all and how they get in touch with. Hold, oh, I got I got one more question. Okay. I do have a question. So. You talked about a lot about the impact and just in general case of isolation. Do you think the city? I didn't want to ask you this first, but I got to ask. Do you think the city of DC is doing enough? I think the city is trying to figure out what has worked in the past. Because right now we are going toe to toe with where we were 25 years ago, but we don't have the same population of people that reside in DC that we did 25 years ago. Right. So I think they're trying to figure out what tactics um, is going to work best to engage the kids uh, but then you also have to deal about now we have a different problem from 25 years ago because now we have social media at its peak so there are different components that are a part of it and we're now in a space that no one really know how to kind of like figure what's going on I think they are putting more money into funding I do think there could be some adjustments uh, made as far as who can enter the schools to, to work with kids. A lot of people can't get cleared to, to work inside of the schools. Um, so if those minor things can help. And I think that as a community, as a black community, we need to get on the same page as far as uh, police presence. Do we not want police presence? Or do we want police presence? Because um, people complain about police being around. And then the stuff happens, like, where's the police? police it's like, right. we got to pick a side and figure out, you know, what's what. But I do think the city is really trying and... Um, other organizations like us, like we, it's, it's an everyday fight for us. So, right. and I think when it comes to the police, back in the day, right, you had more community police that probably grew up with your mother, yeah, grew up with your uncle. They could be like, "Boy, I know your mama," yeah. or they could take your ass two, three down the <laughs> yeah, block, yeah, instead of somebody man. ready to shoot. And then when something happened, nobody ready to tell what, yeah. what happened. So that's what I think when they when but, people but say we don't embrace the police here. So it's like. You know, one of my students, she wanted she wanted to be a police officer so bad, and they made fun of her over at Baloo. They just right. was like, oh, you, why you want to be 12, da, right, da, da. Right. And it's like, at least you have someone who, like, understands right. Right. you versus, like, finding someone from Minnesota, New right. Hampshire, to come down They want to kill like, us. It's like, you know, kind of get on the same page or, you right. know, let it kind of be that kind of thing. So I think law enforcement definitely plays a major role, right. um, and we haven't figured out what narrative we want to move forward with with them. Awesome. Okay. Well, I mean, I love having you. We can talk to you all day, I mean, I man. I don't want to hope. We don't want to. You feel like you're at home right now, right? You know, that's Big Bama State right there. You know what I mean? That's Big Bama State. She, she's home. She's Big Bama State. The Big Bama State right there. So, once again, I'm just happy to have you here to talk about your organization. Um, you guys are doing amazing things. Just say the, the co-founders' names, too, because we, we, we actually interviewed one of your co-founders last year. Jason. Yeah, Jason. Jason and Kevin. Okay, and what platforms you guys on? They can follow you guys. Put that. Put your IG, whatever uh, social media you on. IG at the Hustlers Guild. Yep. Okay. 
Right, so once again, thank you for having me. Yes, 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 this is a straight shooter. Yeah, like, you know I mean, she's gonna say exactly what it is, and then she's gonna stop. I didn't even catch that. That's what she, she is. She is such a straight shooter, <laughs> it is just so funny. <laughs> no, nah, she's nah, just being we, funny now. Nah, nah, straight so, shooter. Once again, it's good, it's good to have you here, and, uh, and thank you for joining our um, podcast. All thank right, you very thank much. You. Thank you. Give us some applause, bro. Now it's time to give applause. He gave one earlier, he didn't have to get that applause. She's the third, too. Two standing over. <laughs> All right. What up, what up? We're back uh, for our final guest of the hoodie season. Values is it seven, right? Seven. Seven, seven, baby. seven, seven, seven. We got Mr. Rob King over here at our table, man, from Bloom. Is it Bloom Theory? Bloom Theory. Theory. All right. Sure. Bloom Theory. And we're about to dive into a great. Conversation with you, brother. How you doing today? I'm good. How are y'all? Good. good. Let me make sure we get you a round of applause for joining our table because we appreciate you being here, being part of this event. All right, so let's dive too. So, tell us about yourself. Tell us before we even get into your organization. How did you get involved in, in this organization? Yeah. And are you from DC? Are you born and raised? And and and. Um, yeah, that was questions right there. Let's dive into that first. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. Um, first of all, appreciate y'all being out here doing this work out in the cold. Oh, we appreciate it. It's not cold. It's not cold. It's great weather right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. weather right now. And when that sun dropping, yeah, you see the hood went on now. Like, yeah, it's getting a little right there. Now. It's getting a little there, but it's not cold just yet. Um, yeah, so background, I'm from Mississippi. Uh, born and raised? Okay, yeah, we're well, from yeah, yeah. Are y'all familiar with the state? Yeah. Well, uh, I'm we, from, we from the South. He's from Louisiana. He's from, from Louisiana. New Orleans, New Orleans. I got Alabama. family from Macomb, Mississippi. Bet. Okay, I'm from Pontotoc. Okay. Right now, I don't know two. where that's at. Now. I never heard of Pontotoc. <laughs> <laughs> you got you know, a neighbor in the city. What's your close I'm close to Tupelo. Okay. Okay, I heard of Tupelo. Oh, I know where Tupelo yeah, yeah. is. I heard of yeah, Tupelo. Memphis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard of Tupelo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tupelo. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm from the backwoods. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yes, you are. Right. <laughs> um, but then uh, after graduating high school, I spent six years in Nashville. Okay. And then I moved up here to uh, D.C. And been here for about six, seven years. Okay. So um, six years in Nashville doing, you were in school? Yep. Involving. Okay, cool. Yeah, I was doing undergrad and graduate school. At Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Okay. Vanderbilt. Okay. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's smart. Smart. Okay. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I got yeah. in. Don't They said it's the Harvard itself, right? That's what they said. Yeah. yeah. Okay. There ain't no slouch. Okay. <laughs> um, but when it came to hoodie season, I have a lot of good friends who have been supporting this work, um, and so I went to the first one a couple of years back, loved it, and when I got the opportunity to support it um, as a business, I was like, let's do it. Oh, that's gonna happen. Yeah, so talk about us, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. Talk to us about your company. Yeah, yeah, so Bloom Theory is an evaluation company that I started um, officially a year ago, um, a year and a half ago, really. Um, and it's really about helping small businesses, organizations evaluate their programs, products, and services to see how they can improve and continue to grow, um, as well as help people who want to start a business or have a new idea, a product that they want to grow, improve, um, that we kind of evaluate that for them and help guide them along the way to get it done. Before you, before you dive, how did you even get to this point? Though? Like, what drove you to even get this thought and create this business? Yeah, so the whole impetus for it, well, one, I always wanted to start my own business. Um, and my background is in data analytics, organizing group facilitation work. Um, and I was always 
on, of the mindset, I had to learn certain things. I had to have certain experiences before I could actually go out there and start my business. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my last experience, I realized people just out here making money, getting millions of dollars, mm-hmm. um, and half the time they don't know what they're doing, yeah. right? A lot of us are out here just trying to figure it out, mm-hmm. right? So I decided to go ahead and start um, and really try to support folks who look like me, who right. are running businesses, to figure out how do you do it in a way that is easy and you have clarity about what your next steps are. Okay, so this is a two-part, a two-part question. So can you explain me your day-to-day? Yeah. And then in your day-to-day, what's your biggest challenges? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good question. Day-to-day can look like a bunch of different things, but typically it is start off with like organizing all the different clients that I work with. I have like some project management stuff that I do go through just to see what needs to be done, what doesn't need to be done. Um, And then I'll have like three hours set aside for calls that I do with clients. We're walking through, okay, where are you right now? What type of evaluations do we need to do? What are the strategies that we need to think about to improve your work um, and get to grow your funding, to grow your following, um, to grow your impact? Um, And then the end of the day is really administration, doing all the the stuff that I need to do for my own business, right? Um, So that's kind of what it looks like day to day. Um, And then what was the other question? What are your challenges come doing your day to day? Yeah, challenges. Um, Time, man. Time. Trying to find enough time in the day to get everything done. You know. So I ain't gonna lie. When I when I when I read up on your business, I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm not sure you seen Boys in the Hood. So are you like the the modern day was it stylist? What his father's name was, right? When yeah, he said when he yeah, said yeah. like, hey, it's no business. It may not be business. It's business, but it may not business always here. Mm-hmm. And he helped business and he explained. I can't remember. Uh, uh, word for word What he stated When he yes. told the guy Like what do you do But he asked Like what do you do For a living He was like well He talked to the, uh, to the kids So you're like that you, you have that type of like Even though that was You know that was a character But that is really like Your involvement You yeah. deal with your business Every day Yeah 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 Okay It's really helping people grow um, I think like Especially when you're a black business owner or a black person who wants to start a business, right. there can be a lot of obstacles that stop you from doing it or that slow you down. Right. Um, and life can just get overwhelming in general, right? right? And so my work is really to come in, help calm the situation down, right. help you evaluate what you need to do, what you don't need to do, and then create a strategy to get you moving forward. But how tough is that to gain the trust of those business owners? Because they have to entrust that you know what situation, what you're doing, and that you can bring some value. Right, because yeah. they're gonna look at that like from a value standpoint, and that comes. I'm taking that comes with the service cost, right? Yes. So it's nothing's free. Yeah. So how do you get them to say to you like, hey, like, like, how do you get them to agree to that, yeah. knowing that there is, you know, there's got to be, there can be some hesitation. Yeah. Right. Being that you are, if you're a business and you're already struggling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a really good question because I, I know from my experience and also working with other people. When you create something, that's your baby. Right. Right? And it becomes very hard to open it up to other people. Right. Um, Or there's, like, shame around not knowing how to do something. Right. Right? And so this really was when I dig into, like, my organizing background, my group facilitation background, right? Right. And I do a lot of work to build trust with folks where before we even get to the work, we probably known each other for a couple of months. Yeah. Right? Um, And we've had conversations, and we've worked our way up to actually doing the work. Right? Right. Another thing that I've also started doing is what I call um, impact evaluations. 
So within 30 days, I come into your business. I assess all of the information that you have, all the data that you have, and I give you insights and recommendations on what you could do to improve. Right. Quick, something quick. Um, and throughout that time, we get to learn each other and see how you work, how I work, and then you get to see the type of work that I will provide you. And hopefully, if we've developed trust with each other within that 30 days, we can then decide how do we actually work together long term. So over this last year, what lessons have you learned? Like, cause the first year, like, it's a lot of growth, right? It's a lot of growing pains. Like, we did our first year of our podcast. Like, it was, you know, we was clashing. Like, yeah. you know, and, you know, I don't know if you got any other business partners, but, like, what have you learned over that year? Oh, man, I will say this. The biggest lesson that I always tell people, especially folks who are starting out in business, is that you got to reevaluate your relationship with resources and in particularly money. Right. <laughs> yeah. Before this, I had a set paycheck coming in every two months. I mean, not every two months, but twice a month, right? Um, and when you start a business, right, you'll do the work. Sometimes people will pay you on a monthly basis. Sometimes they'll pay you half up front. Sometimes you got to go chase people down yeah. to get your money. Yeah, I'm about to ask that question. Like, man, how do you get paid? Because you're talking about 30 days. Like, that's 30 days of working and not receiving anything. Yeah, yeah. Then you throw an invoice at the end. It's like, they may be like, well, I don't know. Like, and then you got to figure it out from there. Like, how does that, I mean, that's to be, stability of that has to be tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the impact evaluation work that you're referring to is something that I've started more recently over the co- co- past couple of months. Right. Um, before that, yes, I would do a bunch of different things, you know, get half up front, half right. later, right. month by month basis. Um, but I've also gotten to a point where now I pay myself through my business. Right. And so there is, I know for sure I have a check coming in at a set time consistently. So I'm good now. Straight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and also, you also stated, like, you do your some of the tools you utilize, which yeah. maybe like data analytics, mm-hmm. right? Like, how do you convince people? Because in this state of age, like, data analytics is still a, a, um, a area that a lot of people are not understandable about. Yeah. Like, how do you convince them that they, this is usable uh, information? Yeah, so I've done a lot of presentations, um, to a bunch of different groups about that topic in particular. And I always try to explain to people, whether you realize it or not, everybody is a data analyst, right? Um, it's just some of us do it professionally. Some of us do it naturally, organically, right? Um, even when it came to, like, folks who are coming here to this event, right, they were all data analysts. They had to pick out a set of clothes to wear. Right. They had to make a decision about how they would get here transportation-wise. Right. Um, all of that are data points, right? And the process that they're running to actually accomplish getting here is an algorithm itself. Right. Right? And so I'm able to kind of coach people and walk them through what that process is. And now let's take that and apply it to your business. Right? You are selling hair care products. Mm-hmm. Um, but you want to increase the funding. Well, let's talk about where your market is. Where have you been going? Where do you need to go now? Right? And then we can map out how data can actually support that work and help you make decisions better. And so this is going to be my last question. To, to, to pick it back on what you said, right? Mm-hmm. I don't care what type of field you're in. You can be in sports. Mm-hmm. You can be 9 to 5. Mm-hmm. You can be your own business. 
everything come off data. Yes. So what is your goals to accomplish when dealing with data for your company? Yeah, internally or for my clients? Internally, your client, your goals, your client goals, just your business, period. What are you reaching for for your goals when it comes to data? Yeah, um, I'm always pushing people to not just collect information for the sake of collecting it. Mm. You always have to have a purpose and an objective. Mm. And once you have defined that purpose and objective, then collect data and information based off that. Um, And so because I am a small business, Mm. I don't have the capacity to just collect and use a bunch of data all the time. So my goal is always to be as specific as possible about what I need and make sure I'm organizing it in a way that is that makes sense and right. can be usable, mm-hmm. but also making sure that I am being ethical mm-hmm. about its use, right? right? Um, making sure that I'm not leaking anybody's information, mm-hmm. right. making sure that um, if people give me something, that there is a retention policy mm-hmm. on that data and that is deleted at some point, right? Because that is somebody else's information, right? right? right. Um, and that same application that I use for myself is what I try to do for all of my clients as well. Because now everybody the data and analytical. Even when you come to analytical, when you do the data, you should do this, you should do that. Yeah. It's like a huge thing now. It's a huge market. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is. yeah. Yes. No matter what you do, I don't care. It like, analytical data, they all go together. So yeah. it's definitely a market for that. Yes. Yeah. So what's your most proud accomplishment? Like I said, you know, even though it's just a year, mm-hmm. what are you most proud of? Yeah, so I've been working with an education technology company called Discriminology um, based in Florida, one of my clients. Um, and within the past six to eight months, we've gained $100,000 in additional funding for that company to really expand its work and continue building products. Um, they're trying to build a tech platform that allows black and brown families to come on and assess the racial equity, cultural climate of their schools and how to better advocate for them, right? Um, and so getting that $100,000 in funding was super important to continue the product build. So that's probably been the, the proudest accomplishment so far. And to and piggyback on that, because nobody, when you start your business, right, want to stay on money. How do you go about getting a grant? And the funding and all that. Can you speak on on that? Uh, just getting sponsors, yeah. grants. Yeah. What's the knowledge on how you've been going about doing that? That's a whole two, three hour presentation. <laughs> but I'll try to shorten it. Um, so one, it depends on what your business type is, right? Right. Um, whether you're a nonprofit or a for profit business, um, and then it also depends on the certifications that you have as well, right? But um, across the board. You really want to find grants, um, especially if you are black or brown-owned business or a woman-owned business, finding grants, signing up for newsletters um, like the uh, Black Chamber of Commerce. Um, There are a couple of other resources out there if you Google. They have newsletters you can sign up, and they will actually send you information on a regular basis about grants that are available. But the the biggest thing you can do to find funding is to network. Everything is about networking, building relationships. Find the people who are doing incredible things that you want to do 
and then network with them, and they will show you and open doors for you in the process. Always come back to communication. Yes. Yeah. And I, hold on, this is my final question, probably. But um, is there a limitation? Do you, in, in your business, I know you said you focus on mostly black-owned businesses, but is there is there a, is there a, a field or a, a business that you feel like your impact won't be great in, or is there is it hey, is it unlimited? You feel like you can jump in any organization in any field and feel like hey, I can provide impact and value. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say my focus is definitely on black and brown businesses, but I'm open to working with all companies. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just I have a special place in my heart. Okay. For those types of organizations. Right. I just want to make sure um, people know you're not going to let me your check. No, 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 check no, 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 no. We don't do that. We're going to get the check coming in. Yes. Green is green. Um, but no, to answer that, like, I do think the work that I do, evaluation work, the piece around data analytics right. that's a part of that evaluation work, right. that can support any organization. Right. Okay. That's the analytical, brother. You can go any field. You got great analytical. Mm-hmm. Any, any field. Any yeah. field. Yeah. But listen, but... I gotta get a shout out to Vanderbilt, yo. Y'all, y'all producing. <laughs> <laughs> they doing all right, I guess. <laughs> Vanderbilt producing. Yeah, they, they may not win in the SEC. <laughs> no, we ain't doing that. They win in the Vanderbilt, classroom. They win in the classroom. They may not win. They may not win in the actual SEC, but hey, we respect that. I, I done learned so much from the interview, dog. Like seriously, bro. We need yeah. to be in contact, bro. Please, yes, yes. From our, I feel like we got the best. Podcast in the world, yes, but we gotta how to get to the people and the analytical when they're filing the numbers. And I really think Absolutely. so. Somebody think you can help us, bro. Yeah, I really do. We can do it. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Hey, that's, what, that's what we're here for. Yeah. So, yeah. so what's next? What's next? Uh, wow. Right now, we're really thinking about 2024 um, and making sure we have everything mapped out for the year, Um, thinking about expanding our team. Um, Right now, it's just me, but I want to bring on more people soon, and I think we're getting to a space where we can do that. Um, And also uh, looking at new locations around the country that we can continue to support with our work. Uh, Once again, man, we're happy that you came here. Uh, Man, we appreciate you, you know, coming to our podcast, coming to our table. Great interview. And, um, and Mr. King, we wish you great luck, man. We definitely got to build some synergy here. Yes. And have some conversations as we keep moving forward, brother, because we, we really appreciate it. We definitely, like uh, uh, Keon just stated, man, we can always utilize yeah. somebody in your field that can always survive what we do as well. Right. And yes. we can always show the impact to other people out there how what his services can do and then can provide more. Mm-hmm. Um, and work for uh, both parties. Yeah, yeah. This, who, this who got us out here. Yeah. This who you should use and work for both parties. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. So I, 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 the society man, you right on the money, brother. Yeah. Your IG location, all yeah, that, absolutely. all your details. Yes. Yes. Um, so you can find me at Bloom Theory. B L U M E T H E O R Y. Um, on Instagram, um, and that'll take you to all my other information as well. Excellent, man. Hey, yeah, man. Well, thank you for coming once again, out. Man. Thank appreciate you for coming y'all. Out. Appreciate you. Applause, 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 applause. Blue Theory, look yeah. him up. Yes. Man, he's doing great things, man. Yeah. So Shout out to Vanderbilt. Again. I'm going to say that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, listen, if you have a, he has a young son, he's in the ninth grade. If you have a link to Vanderbilt, yeah. we definitely, yes. we Vanderbilt. definitely send him in. Talk there. to me. Vanderbilt. All right, there we go. Send I don't him. know about sports, but I'm going to shout out to Vanderbilt. Listen, yo, listen, Bryce ain't got to go to Vanderbilt Sports. You know what I mean? He can always walk on the team. Yes. At the end of the day. Shout out to Vanderbilt. I ain't mad. I ain't mad. I ain't mad. Shout out to Vanderbilt. Get to Vanderbilt. I'm man, very so. impressed right yeah, now. Absolutely, man. Lie. So listen, Bryce can be a Vanderbilt grab, brother. But definitely. Right. Yeah. Appreciate you once again, brother. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. And I will say this one.